0: For July 13th, 2020, it's The Overthinking at Podcast, Episode 628, An Extraordinarily Rich Meal. It's the overthinking a podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve the overthinkers are like uh, a group, a small band of revolutionaries uh, joined together, drinking. Uh, and simultaneously in the second act of the podcast, like, uh, the establishment figures who are just trying to figure out how to run this fledgling podcast. And we're never happier than when we are, uh, revolting against our colonial podcast overlords. And when we are, uh, you know, establishing a new podcast republic in this great land of your Ears. That's right. We're going to talk about the Hamilton film. Uh, I am Matt Rather. I am joined by my uh, revolutionary crew. It's Mr. Peter Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. And Mr. Mark Lee. Hello, Mark. Hey, Matthew. All right. So, Mark and I uh, both saw Hamilton live uh, with the original cast. Mark, is that right?
1: That is a true statement. Yes.
0: That's uh, awesome. Did you see it at the public? Or did you see it at the so it it played a run at the public theater downtown in New York. And then it it obviously took over Broadway where it is has, is still playing five years later. Um Or I mean, nothing's playing now, but as of the quarantine was still playing. Um Where where exactly in that time? Did you see it?
1: Um, a friend of mine who has all the cultural cachet in the world saw it in the public and was raving to all his friends, he got to see the show, couldn't see it at the public, uh, short a few months later, caught uh, tickets to see it uh, while it was still in previews on Friday. It was not difficult at the time. It just had to be just a little bit on top of the ball. And so that was probably like I think in July 2015, and it had its proper debut in August. Um, so I was only just a tiny little bit slightly ahead of the curve, but not by a whole lot.
0: Got it. And I was uh, I I was behind you on that curve. I saw the uh, I was in New York for Christmas um, that year. I guess that's 2015, and uh, got tickets. I had to go on StubHub. They were pricey but they were nothing like the multi-thousand dollar uh, exorbitant it was a three-figure sum of money um per seat to to get them but it it i did it and uh, it was worth it but pete I, I understand that you did not see hamilton had kind of limited uh limited acquaintance with the material and so this was your first uh this was your first experience with it is that right that is correct, I, I, which is
2: strange, right? Because not only do I have a long history with musical theater, I specifically am a big fan of musical theater themed on the American Revolution. <laughs> right. The musical 1776 probably a d- double-digit number of times, so one, including on Broadway with Brent Spiner in it. So one would think that I would have seen this sooner. Uh, but it was a combination of me not being in New York when it was around right. and just, uh, yeah, not really – not really uh, being in a situation where I could go see it. I don't know if it even had a touring company or anything along those lines. So, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to get the album going before I had a chance to see the show. So that was part of why I hadn't really encountered it very much.
0: Yeah, fair enough. So it has about half a dozen touring companies at this point. Oh, I okay. mean, yeah, they're I'm all they're all cool shut down at the. You know, yeah, exactly. Everything. Uh, all live performances shut down now. I'm sorry. I'm going to make that mistake over and over and over and over again. All right. Well, um, the only connection I know to 1776 is that they whisper it at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the the first song in the musical after the the kind of prologue song they all whisper 1776 in the thing but uh Peter I I would be really interested to hear your thoughts as someone who who saw it for the for the first time what were your impressions kind of getting this material in this format at this time
2: It was not what I expected which was surprising because from based on what everybody was saying about it based on what everybody uh thought and said and what the dominant narrative was i had created an idea of my in my head of what hamilton was going to be like right the big thing that you hear is that it is a kind of representational theatrical experiment where you're taking this white dominant founding father story and you're cross-casting it and you're cross-styling it with you know a you know, mixture of actors, a lot of African American actors, a lot of hip-hop and rap, uh, you know, and 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 this is gonna present this sort of dichotomy and opposition, which is going to kind of explore and interrogate kind of ideas of the American Revolution, and that wasn't what it was at all, uh, in my experience, right? I, I what I, I, I,
1: think the first half of it was, but sorry, continue.
2: Well, yeah, that's true. The first half more than the second, but but what I would say is that my reaction to it is is what I saw was a hip hop biography, right? right. My impression of it. It was intense. It was dark. It was much darker than I expected. By the end of it, it was almost impossible to watch. I, I, I mean, with a young baby watching the dying sun on the table, like I, I was. I was, you know, inconsolable. It was unimaginable, right? Um, and and it's just really intense and and uh, existential and and death fixated and is a in a lot of way a lot of big historical biography tends to be. And um, and I what I would say was that the hip hop element of it. Incredibly virtuosic, right? You know, the the hip hop dimension of Hamilton is it felt like a tour de force. The the I am so used to rap being co opted in theatrical spaces oh, and God. being given a massive, massive credit just for existing to the point that it is beyond mediocre, right? Like, it is just so bad. My name is blank blank, and I'm here to say I do blank blank in a major way.
0: Just <laughs> my name's <laughs> I Alexander, know. and I'm here to say I found the Fed in a major way, or, or the, treasure, the Treasury, I suppose. Which
1: typically is, is lampshaded at the very beginning of this, yeah. right Right before Hamilton launches. He's, I am not throwing away my shot. It just blows the roof off the whole thing, right? Right, it, right, right,
2: right, right. Because hip-hop in theater can be so bad and so trite, right? I did not expect a, an actually serious hip-hop work, um, which is uh, perhaps to my detriment, too. Also because so many people that know that are musical theater aficionados are so jazzed about it that I assumed it would be more Broadway-ish. But it's both, right? Uh, but yeah, but I guess to sum it up quickly, it was basically like not really as focused on the American Revolution at all as I expected or the mythology of the American Revolution. Uh Much more focused on the biography of Alexander Hamilton and the people around him, Mm. much more formulated as a biography, much more of a kind of stylistic experiment with uh, hip hop and sort of the MC as a self justifier. Hmm. Right. As sort of that's a sort of stylistic element of rap, is you kind of go out there to assert your yourself against the notion that other people are not going to be uh, making space for your identity. And you're going to go out there and be like, this is who I am. You know, I'm Slim Shady. I'm the Slim Shady. All the other Slim Shadies are just imitating. Right. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps one of the more direct <laughs> ways in which this is put out there. But there's so many of them, right? Like, uh, where where you just sort of say who you are?
0: Eminem and, and, actually, there, uh, Eminem got to a really baroque version of that. Yeah, uh, yeah. with later on in his career, with I am whatever you say I am. If I wasn't, then why would I say I am? To, right. to which my response was, Why indeed, Eminem? Why <laughs> indeed would you say that you are? I mean, um, it, yeah. Anyway,
2: it goes back to express yourself, sure. right? You know, this idea that that the purpose of hip hop is to express yourself, not the purpose, but the sort of relationship of the MC with an audience is one where the MC expresses himself or herself, not just in the sense of saying what they think, but in terms of expressing an idea of the self that's been you know formed and constructed and is being projected and is self-justifying right and there's and a lot
0: was, and there's a lot i mean there are sort of tropes that go along with that like spelling out your name you know yeah. uh which this does uh right uh yeah. alex and we are meant to be a colony that runs independently like it's uh um it, it it's full of reference. It's shock full of reference. And in that sense, it is a tour de force. Yeah. It's like, cram- right. it's crammed. And musical theater reference as well as, um, I mean, there's some Rodgers and Hammerstein in there. There's some... Uh, Gil-
1: Gilbert and freaking Sullivan. Right, exactly. Very model of a modern major general. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: Um, so yeah, so it's, it's cool. cool. It's like thick and dense. It's incredibly dense. Yeah. It is a hard musical as an overthinker to watch in one sitting because you constantly want to be stopping it and kind of going through what you just saw, so I, I would assume that people must just listen to the album a lot, right? Is that something that
0: happens? Yes, over. I mean, over and over and over. The album was a best sell. It was like uh, uh, number one on the charts. Like a Broadway, an original Broadway cast album was. You know, it's like the it's like the forties or something. It's like the days of the Great American Songbook. Actually, like the days of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, it's funny. Last week, as we after we had stopped recording, and last week, Mark and I were were sort of preparing you. I felt like for for what we were going to do and i i said something along the lines of block off time you know like yeah. and make room in your life because it's And, and I, I struggled with what to say. Like, it's difficult. It's intense. There are moments of it that are difficult. There are moments of it that, that are intense. But, and, and I, I didn't, and you were like, what is it like? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not like the life of Pi where you just have to steal yourself to see a young boy eaten by a tiger in a lifeboat. That's not what this, that's not what this is like. It's not like sort of, or, like a lot of the things that we see that are just kind of relentlessly unpleasant that you you see out of some sense of some sense of obligation but like it's um but i i and I didn't find until today, actually earlier today, the words I wish I had said, which is that it is an extraordinarily rich meal, you know, mm-hmm. and every you know, and like every you almost can't eat the whole thing in a sitting. And indeed, like when I went back and watched watched the film, I uh, took a long break between I took a long intermission of several hours between uh, between act one and act two, just because I kind of needed it to like return my breathing and my my heart rate to normal but something i mean something that you said is very you know is very interesting that like from um from the uh from what people say uh, say and how they talk about it you would assume that it would be uh, Primarily a kind of an investigation into certain things around the myths of the, of the founding of the United States, right? That it would be right. sort of a, a historiographical, historiography, histori- a full, <laughs> um, right. you know, criticism of how these things are, uh, how these things are told, you know, how, how these things are, and, and combined with, I, I think the assumption, the the latent assumption in that is that combined with the, um the concern with representation, right. In casting all of the principal characters with people of color and most of the, um, almost all of the chorus as well. Um, that like, uh, it's going to be a criticism or reinvestigation of the, uh, or kind of rethinking of those myths in a way that has something to do with centering the stories of people of color in, the, in the, right. the narrative. And it's not yeah. that. It's, 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 what it is is a kind of mythic reclaiming, you know, of the, like, of the figures of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and, and, uh, Alexander Hamilton and, and these people and saying, um, you know that kind of these these can be our stories. These can be our people too. These can be our stories too. And like what what Lin Manuel Miranda has said about like the impetus to write the musical at the beginning is that like he was reading the Chernow biography, the Ron Chernow biography of Alexander Hamilton, on which the show is is notionally based. Um, and he was like, "This is an up from the streets sort of hip hop story," you know, and that like making that was kind of the crucial connection that married the stylistic part of it um you know with the uh with the subject matter and but it was not it was not this is a this is a hip-hop story but oh wait <laughs> like, let's <laughs> you know let's dig deeper but but the people do kind of get hung up on uh what i'm going to broadly call political issues right in the in their discussion of the show and like when when we talk about hamilton the subjects that we choose to discuss tend to be like okay the show has its cake and eats it too a lot with slavery in particular um the uh there are sort of certain historical inaccuracies and people are kind of praised in a way that that is very comfortable for our time but maybe not totally justified given the actual historical uh opinions that they held and like wrote about a lot in letters to other people or like enshrined in law uh and things like that and it doesn't really get past the um it doesn't really get past that part and i think there's so much more like it's so good it's it's you know it's really like generationally good um and creates creates this this incredible experience and i feel like that doesn't get enough appreciation or analysis beyond you know the kind of the like the squee culture uh that you kind of have to do um that the the like the broadway fans uh sort of perform that the, the so that like any kind of any sort of analytical thoughts or anything that um you know goes a little deeper kind of gets uh, you know either gets uh drowned out or brigaded sometimes or like um the, and this was especially true back in 2015 and some of it very understandably, uh, from an impulse of like, Hey, don't take away our thing. Like we got a thing here, you know? And like, we like the, we like this thing and we like liking this thing together, <laughs> like getting together and liking this thing. It turns out is a very enjoyable, uh, pastime for all of us. So don't poop on our parade, you know? Uh, and, and
2: Even if it is on the 4th of July.
0: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and I get that. Uh, um, um you know i i totally get that i i also think that one of the tributes that you can give to something like this is is to actually really engage with it critically and by by engage with it i mean engage with the actual um engage with the actual text of it engage with the actual artifact and and in this case more than the text the the filmed performance um You know, and, and I, and I also say this as a person who got kind of sucked into the, uh, this discourse a little bit, I wrote, um, in our newsletter back when we, back when we had one, um, an essay about this, where where I talked about the kind of the principled political criticisms of of Hamilton. One is that the the writing for the women isn't as good as it is for the men. That's undoubtedly true. Um, two was like there was a lot of stuff uh, at the time about how the up by your bootstraps narrative was sort of counter progressive, counter revolutionary, um, because it didn't uh, it didn't take into account you know structural impediments to uh, to advancement for certain people or classes of people uh that's undoubtedly true and then also like you know to say that like and then this was the main point of my essay like to say that um you know, hey, we're we're retelling the story of the founding of America, but with African Americans and with people of color. Like, well, you know, there were Africans in the Americas at the time, you know, they, and they they had stories too. They had full, rich subjectivities, and and that that sort of that sort of gets gets glossed over. And like the the so I got sucked into this too, talking about this these these issues and. It's really irresistible, the kind of gravitational pull of talking about that. Um, especially, you know, especially now when you might wish for, uh, you might really wish for a, uh, Something, a rallying cry or a, uh, you know, a great kind of, we talked about protest songs a little while for a, a um, an anthem, you know, for this moment uh, where we can, where we can kind of latch onto it and sort of use it to, to, to unify us. But the, the harder but ultimately more rewarding thing, I think, is to, to talk about the, the show as a show, to talk about the art as art, to talk about the writing as writing, the performance as performance. Um, and, like, uh, you know, as as pedantic as it seems so like to, like, go into the details of the lighting design, I think that actually that's where a lot of unexplored richness uh, is in in the discourse here.
1: Before we start to do that, talk about the show, for the show, like, I wanted to touch on one thing, like, that, that you made me think about, Matt. We said, like, you know, this people are, are kind of grasping at this, you know, and I don't know if that's quite the right word for it, but um, everybody is very eager to attach all this uh, extra political discourse to the side of it you know the sort of you know back in 2015 at the end of the obama years as well as 2020 now in the middle of trump and um and black lives matter and and the coronavirus pandemic The show does not provide that as you said the closest that it gets um and i'd forgotten about this moment uh, in the stage show and i was reminded of it uh and re-watching it recently is uh, when lawrence dies uh, spoiler alert! Lawrence, uh, uh, one of Hamilton's Patriots, and and uh, who was leading the first Black battalion, and, and talked about abolition of slavery. He dies, and you see kind of his ghost or memory of him to the side, and he brings back a, a refrain from earlier. Raise a glass to the four of us. Tomorrow, there'll be more of us. Um, that felt resonant, and like you know, if if people want to take that and and you know feel some inspiration for that, as a sense of like um you know he may have died but there will be more of us tomorrow and our movement will continue to grow and that's sure that's a totally valid thing to take away from it so i i wanted to like at least like get that uh, uh, idea in there before we move on to talk about the other stuff cool yeah
2: i mean i think i would also add just that the show is political just by virtue of its casting right And 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 not being the Lion King, and and so like uh, like those two things together.
0: Whoa, son! All right, it's you know what now? It's a podcast about the Lion King because the Lion King has some (laughs) it has has some messages it has some messages to teach us, my friend. But uh,
2: but this you know the circle of light notwithstanding, I think that one of the ways in which hip hop engages with which sort of echoes what i said before and i won't belabor this because we want to move on is is that uh when you merely speaking out as a political act then it positions the speaker in a certain hostility to being heard and and i think that the style of hamilton regards the, the kind of world right with a with a hostility toward being heard that necessitates being you know the best speaker the best rapper the most virtuosic person in order to you know be in the room where it happens as it were right so so that's sort of how the politics functions not so much in the sort of hegelian dialectic of like white versus black america but in the sense of by merely putting this on stage you're exposing it to the sense that it's going to be opposed and, and then you come out guns blazing and, you know, uh, Biggie Smalls lyrics dropping in order to kind of collide with the force that would come in to prevent you from doing this. So that, that is how it felt for me, at least in terms of how it's political energy works. Um, as it were, but anyway. Well, moving on. You wanted so talk, to move on I mean, to the next. Yeah, I mean, like
0: talking about it, well, a little bit. Yeah, like so. Let's. I mean, let's talk about it a little bit. Like, let's just talk about how the show works and and um, and the writing and the sort of the the two. You know, Hamilton and Burr, who kind of who in this like in kind of a double helix style, like ascend and circle each other for the entire thing. Um I. I, I think one of the things to appreciate is how sort of tightly constructed um and how like really, really carefully uh put together a lot of the writing is. You could say that like the a lot of the show, a lot of the themes of the show are contained in the first uh the first two lines after the, the prologue song, after the Alexander Hamilton song. Um the uh first two lines. Uh pardon me, are you Aaron Burser? And he replies, that depends who's asking. And that within, within those kind of two, within that little exchange, the, um, you know, uh, the, that, and, and actually that comes right after Um, you know, Leslie Odom as Aaron Burr ends the prologue song saying, what's your name, man? And the whole company sings Alexander Hamilton, you know? And so the idea of like, are you, what's your name, man? (laughs) You know, is the, as kind of a major, um, as a major theme and these two, these two kind of opposing, um ways of addressing that these two opposing ways of like coping with that question one is alexander if one is a l e x a n d e r we are meant to be you know and the other is that depends who's asking and it's almost like you can't help but uh, you can't help but foresee the showdown between these two between these two points of view, which comes, you know, quite literally near the end of the uh, near the end of the show. Pete, did you see? I, I mean, I you know, spoilers for the life of Alexander Hamilton. Did you see it coming that Aaron Burr was going to shoot him?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I actually had a little bit of previous exposure to Hamilton through the nineteen ninety three Michael Bay uh, milk commercial. <laughs> <where it revealed. laughs> Ar- Burr. Ar- Burr. Ar- Ar- Burr. Ar- Burr. I hope that somebody knows what we're talking
1: about. <laughs> by the way, directed by fellow Wesleyan alumnus, uh, Lumen Miranda, Michael Bay.
2: Yes. Oh, wow. They both went to. Yeah. The- Zoom I know, right? But they're both good at causing explosions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so, so, the formal, the, the first kind of formal structural element of the show similar to what you're describing that really stuck with me was the way in which the present never allowed the future to get away from it uh, throughout the and this and the sort of building sense of anxiety and dread from the seeding of the first half of the show with the constant preoccupation with the final duel right which it, which is all it's it's packed into the songs in all sorts of ways just going through the first ver the first, few tracks of the program, right? So, for example, we've got, um, we, we start out with uh, My Shot, right? I mean, that's the obvious one, right? When he keeps saying, I'm not going to throw away my shot, I'm not going to throw away my shot, and then what he does in the duel is it's debatable, right? So, so, I mean, okay, so the, I, I was surprised that the musical didn't really go into this in more detail, but my understanding of the situation is that Hamilton is kind of on record with friends before the duel saying that he wasn't going to shoot Burr. But that Burr was convinced that he was going to shoot him. And so there's, of course, this convention, which is described a bit in the uh, in the in the in the in the show as throw of throwing away your shot, which is generally to shoot at the ground, but also potentially to shoot at the air. And there might even be a French term for throwing away your shot that's used in dueling to describe this phenomenon. Right. And so part of the tragic fall of alexander hamilton is that for his entire life he insists that he is not going to throw away his shot and in the moment where he chooses to throw away his shot he is murdered for it and his son is murdered for it too because he tells his son to throw away his shot right and uh, and he does but of course because he doesn't because his son isn't the kind of guy who throws away his shot then that's what gets him in the duel in the first place and sort of idea that like your shot is simultaneously your rap battle skill, uh, right? Your your living, your ambition, your opportunity to shape the future, your opportunity to achieve personal wealth and prosperity, your opportunity to be known, right? And also this horrible act of violence against another human being that also might be perpetrated on you and. Turn it is this is this sort of hanging ambiguity, uh, and I mean that in the sense of a literary ambiguity, in which it is both things at once throughout the show. It is both good and tragic that Alexander Hamilton is the kind of guy who doesn't throw away his shot. Huh. Um, but but just that being repeated over and over again, when you know that that's what's going to happen, I, and I'm I'm kind of curious if that's something that other people kind of encounter with this show, right? Like that there's a bunch of stuff like this uh, where he talks about the duel, and then he uh, you know another example, right, is like. Um, When you go to the right hand man song, right, uh, with George Washington, when he starts into his uh, when he starts into his rap, um, you know, I'm going to need my right hand man. Right. He goes, can I be real a second for just a millisecond? Let down my guard and tell the people how I feel a second. He rhymes second with second with second like three times in the first three lines of this big rap that he does, which to me is like, oh, the second, of course, is your buddy in the duel. It's almost like the duel of and I I should hesitate to make a Star Trek reference, but it's like it's almost like the duel between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr has been like broken up in tiny pieces and scattered into the past like the number three in the uh, (laughs) uh, temporal causality loop episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, where, like, they're like Lieutenant Commander Data is getting these strange messages from the future that are telling him how to avoid a catastrophic accident.
1: Uh, (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. But but there, there's a 1776, 1776 connection, Brent Spiner. Yeah, Brent Spiner, Spiner he's yes. We, <laughs> they don't let us out much.
2: Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like there's there's all these little like verbal pepperings, like when another another example is in well the helpless song, right? And it's like, oh, being helpless is, like, good because you're in love, except for, like, she's helpless to stop what's going to happen, right? Yeah. She's a victim. I mean, that's the very obvious one. And then what? there's there's a couple of more really on-the-nose one. Oh, the one where they talk about the ladies, right? Um, I have all of these lyrics that are up. Uh,
0: ladies! What, oh, I promise they, not to sing songs from the show.
2: Oh, yeah. Winter's Ball. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you just sing – you do a Jerry Lewis impression and you do the same thing. Lady! Right? So the line is um, Hamilton still this is Aaron Burr singing. Hamilton still wants to fight. Not right. Now, Hamilton's skill with a quill is undeniable. But what do we have in common? We're reliable with the and then they say ladies. Right. But of course, you know, what we're thinking could be thinking is guns. Right. <laughs> like like the one thing we know about them is they're going to fight. Right. And it's like the pen is mightier than the sword and all that stuff. Right. The quill and the gun uh, are juxtaposed a lot in this show. Um, and this, this sort of Aaron Burr hanging it out there, all of the just you wait, just you wait. Well, what are we waiting for? Death, right? The, the, the a monster at the end of this book is what we were all waiting for. And, uh, and there's a million things that Alexander Hamilton hasn't done. And the reason for it is he got himself shot. Because he was vain and stupid and and he got his son shot because he was irresponsible and violently minded and a product of trauma or whatever you want to say right like that's why there's a million things he hasn't done uh not necessarily just because he's young and he has his whole life ahead of him um you know he could have done so much more is the thought right uh, and that again exists in ambiguity. Both the idea that there were so many things he could have accomplished, and he became a great man, but also that there was so much more he could have done. That really feels like it would have been the more substantial achievements of his political life, because he was just hitting his stride in his, you know, late forties, um, and that he didn't do because of, you know, him getting in this duel. Um, what is another? Well, I mean, just going through
0: the track list, right? It's like "Helpless," "Stay Alive." My shots Sure I mean they're They're talking about a war So there It's a little bit unavoidable That the The topic of death Is going to come
2: Well but yeah, but even when you're just reading the lines of the, the album soundtrack and it's practically an acrostic, like you're reading the t- the titles of like a, a Vince Gilligan season, you know, uh, worth of episodes. And it's like an anagram for like the plane crash that's going to happen at the end. Right. It sort of feel it, you know, that it felt that way to me watching it, that it was yeah. like this looming sense and it was being seeded throughout. Um, but anyway, that, I think ironically, that's
1: like, you'll blow us all away.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Uh, You know, like
2: um, I'm either going to die on the battlefield in glory or right. And there's a lot of situations. I think that's one of the tropes or motifs that happens a lot in the in the show. What would you call that? Not a trope, not a motif. uh, The situation where somebody starts singing a line and then they don't finish their sentence. And then the group chimes in and gives the wrong answer. <laughs> right, like uh, which seems to happen a lot in in Hamilton, and is part of how it keeps the momentum going forward. Um, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. So, I mean, I feel like that felt a lot very folded in. Sure there uh, there
0: are a couple there are a couple other ones that you'd notice if uh, on that you will notice on repeated listenings to the soundtrack. Yeah. One is that the Ten Dual Commandments song. That one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, uh, that that song is the song that little. Um. what's his son's name Philip is playing on the uh, is playing on the piano uh, and singing along yeah. to in French to trois quatre. um and and that he actually never gets to the end of the he never gets to ten like he doesn't get past nine ever because it's,
1: it's it's devastating and heartbreaking. Uh, on this kind of like second watch right now right once you
0: realize that like he never gets to nine because he's gonna be shot by the by the guy in in his duel it's a little hard to take yeah the second uh the second time you you go through but these things um but, but you know the the idea i mean actually like the the line um the line pete that that Kind of chrysalis is the thing that you're talking about is in the I Want song, My Shot. Um, he has kind of an aside to the audience uh, where he says, I, I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory. Um, right, right. And that, and actually it's like, it's really, God, it's so good. Uh, the writing is so good. The, the, rhythm of the the rapping at that point is like a snare drum rhythm and and it's not it's a real marked um difference from the rest of that track right the rest of that song i should say the performance uh which is the one where he says i'm gonna get a scholarship to king's college etc 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 um that uh it's so it's this very um you know uh it's this very kind of highlighted moment and the idea of like that's so much it feels more like a memory the kind of the martial uh theme of the snare drum and this is going to be uh reprised a couple times in the show you know uh, rather sensationally at the end um when the the uh woman playing the bullet, right, is like right, right, right. slowly crossing this the turntables, um, the outer tone and the inner turntable toward uh uh towards Alexander and he's saying it again, a cappella, um that the you know, d- doing this uh uh doing this this kind of thing and kind of just trying to like almost uh <laughs> trying to fit in more more words. I mean, you made the joke earlier, Pete, that the the uh um it probably clocks in at like 140 words a minute or something on yeah. average or something, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. I'll, I wasn't I'll,
2: joking. I think that's what it is. It's like oh, 120 really? or 140 yeah. words
1: a yeah. minute. I, I believe 538 did an analysis of this and said that if this <laughs> so were done at the pace of the average Broadway musical, this would have taken 4 or 6 hours. Huh, huh. Uh, you know some many large huge multiple of um so actually speaking of that like the the, the this notion of time expanding contraction being played with uh that's the structural thing that i wanted to bring up and talk about in, in this um sure. and that it really kind of stuck out with me and uh you know after years of watch, listening to the soundtrack and then seeing it all again um uh, on the screen which is that um you know, as we said before, right, the beginning of the number is straight up and says, you know, like we're all kind of looking at this in retrospect. I'm the damn fool who shot him, you know, straight ahead, like, you know, you know, that all these things have already happened. And then here, let us take you through them. Um, and then from there, like the show does so many interesting things with time, expands, contracts, and repeats and rewinds. Um, you know, just uh, to throw out a few things here, right, you know, the story of tonight keeps coming up. Um, there's a reprise of it, and that tonight kind of keeps changing, and it's on one hand, it's the specific tonight that they're referring to in the show. It's also the tonight, especially when you're in New York and seeing it live or in whatever you are in, in were in the theater uh, in, in in a city somewhere in the world. It's that story of tonight that that particular moment uh, that that passing uh, ephemeral moment that you saw the show. So that's that story of tonight. um and then most interestingly, um, the rewind trick in the song Satisfied, right? Which I don't know if you guys had this experience of it. Like uh, that's when one of, one of many, mo- probably the first moment when my jaw like really hit the floor. And said so, like nice. this show is operating totally. Um, it is, you know, we, we, it rewinds the events of Helpless and totally recontextualizes them and then catches you right back to where you left off. Um, and then all that's kind of thematically connected to this sense that like, you know, Hamilton feels like he's running out of time. Again, there's that lyric, uh, why do you, he writes like he's running out of time and, you know, his life is so, sh- is so short and yet he accomplishes so much, uh, in it. Uh, so I don't know. Did you guys have any thoughts on, uh, on this kind of well, notion of First, uh, I of did time? want to
2: point out that the satisfied song is another reference very specifically to dueling because dueling is about getting satisfaction, mm-hmm. right? Is story, yes, so, yes. I didn't want to let that go, but yeah. I mean, well,
0: would you say Pete that you didn't want to throw away your shot?
2: I just was saying that I can't get no satisfaction, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I can try. So so one thing that really cast that in relief for me is in the song – The Schuyler sisters, where they say that New York is the greatest city in the world.
1: Yes. Right. Yes.
2: And of course, at the time, it's preposterous to suggest that New York is the greatest city in the world. New York is not even the greatest city in like a one one day's horse ride. Right. (laughs) Like New York is is still very much a growing place. Uptown is still quiet farmland. Right. Like uh, and even the idea that they would get a place in Harlem, it just means something totally different in the context of it being old farmland versus the development that it went through in the 19th century. And so the idea that they are in the greatest scene in the world and they're calling that out to the audience and they're kind of expecting the audience to say that back to them. And they're saying how lucky we are to be alive right now. Right. And and this is, you know, this is the moment, right? which is a big theme in uh, musical theater in general. Is the idea that like right now we're all here. This is happening. Uh, <laughs> it's more of it. <laughs> Right? That's also the Sammy Hagar Broadway musical that hasn't come out yet.
1: Right, yeah, Crystal Pepsi. Yeah, they serve Pepsi Crystal, the Crystal Pepsi, Pepsi at intermission. Amazing. Oh, yes. Please write, print it, cut it,
2: print it, sell the tickets. First one to open yeah. up after COVID. Socially distanced. Crystal Pepsi, the musical. Five seats, 100 feet apart. Uh, oh. and I know that, <laughs> that was, we wanted to was keep was this. Cobble up a tequila off the wazoo. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, I'm just having Broadway dreams over here. Uh, but, um, but I'm sorry uh what i'm suggesting i think is what a lot of people what you're suggesting to mark right which is that that this is almost like uh this is like a storytelling session and and that the group yeah. on stage one of the implications for the representation angle of it is that it's not just that the group on stage is people of color is that the group on stage is more representative of the people who live in new york now as opposed to the ones who would be in a story about new york Um, That was only written by white centered people in the 1770s. Like uh, and so like it's not necessarily just that it's like, you know, flipped. It's not that just that the world has been turned upside down with regards to our representation. It's also that it's like we're watching New York tell a story of New York. And it's a New York story, and and that means it has to be told from a Alicia Keys perspective, right? Which is part of what uh, seeps in in that moment, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it,
1: it is, you know. We talked about the the politics earlier. I mean, you know, we're trying to move past it, and and and, and not move past it, sorry, or for it, but just like focus on the text itself. But the text itself, like, just beckons and reaches, and very intentionally evokes the politics of its time. And therefore, the politics of our time as well, too. Right, twenty fifteen, saying, "Look alive, look around, look around. How lucky we are to be alive right now in the greatest city in the world." Is this like triumphant um, uh, shout of the uh, end of the Obama years? Uh, I think people have also evoked this idea of like the Dream Act, the Dreamers. You know, this this you know the, this diverse panoply of young America has come together and made this amazing thing. Look around, look how l- lucky we are to be alive right now. One another side of this somebody brought up talking about this perceiving this in 2020 then we should get back to the show this becomes horribly tragic and ironic and 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 just poignant uh when you talk about new york in 2020 how lucky we are to be alive right now indeed because tens <sighs> of thousands of people died right this year right yeah, yeah i could not escape that so i have to to put
2: that i mean it definitely changes the context to be watching it right now
1: that is for sure it is it is intense
0: well how so i mean how so like what 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 are the primary things i mean i guess like anything sort of any expression of gratitude or of you know appreciation of life under (laughs) lockdown right like under the the under quarantine and like with the the threat of a you know plague sort of always always bearing down on us um made made all the more hor- horrific by the incompetence of our leaders but but even absent that right like it's still you know these things have have happened in history and they have been these kind of moments of you know of reckoning and recklessness of you know uh, of kind of appreciation and uh you know dissociation almost and and that like so that's one for sure okay but yeah. what you know what else um what else comes to mind i mean the uh, well there there are some obvious ones but i'm I'm curious what you think
2: well so i'm curious i mean one of the things i'm curious of course i've only seen hamilton in the trump years and one of the things that really surprised me and felt anticlimactic even though it's and this is a sort of i think it's kind of a cursed performance to an extent uh the the wonderful thomas jefferson performance right by mr diggs as it were um Of course, I like Lafayette more just as a historical figure. But but uh, but but the Jefferson performance felt even I mean from where it starts. Right. It's like, okay, uh, this is being he's being introduced in a new way. I really like this idea of Jefferson as this party guy who's coming in this pink outfit who has been away and hasn't experienced the suffering everybody else has been experiencing and and is going to present this sort of new perspective on founding the country but it one of the things that really characterizes alexander hamilton's political life is partisanship right alexander hamilton is the creator of partisanship in the united states right like to to the, as more than anybody else uh, I, I mean that's one thing you could also attribute it to thomas jefferson you could say that even in so far you could you could say that you know, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson are the original kind of like opposite sides of the coin. But it's it's really it really is the Federalist Papers, right, which are kind of setting off this whole thing. And if we go by Hamilton, the musical, then, um, you know, Hamilton is the is the engine behind the Federalist Papers. And and the way that partisanship is portrayed in this movie feels very, very dated. And I don't mean for 17 89, or whatever. I mean, for today. The idea that people can go into a room where it happens and the people from opposite parties can come out of the room with a mysterious deal that creates a compromise that like accomplishes something is like an alien concept at this point, right? Like, uh,
0: and was it and that, was in 2015 also, like, was in the yeah. yeah,
2: I mean, I mean, at that point, it was like the uh. It was it was a lesson that had not quite registered. Yeah. Right? What it was, was like I
0: mean, a, what was how 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 who could have gone into the room where it happens and get uh, Merrick Garland confirmed to the Supreme Court, for example. Yeah,
2: yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and so and especially the part where Aaron Burr switches sides to me didn't really land where he becomes a Democratic Republican. And right. I, I had heard prior to seeing it that there was some sort of shade thrown at Democratic Republicans that was kind of over the top. In this in the show, and it seems to come and go and not really register. Right. Like the uh, the the rivalry between the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans is presented more specifically as a personal, ambitious uh, person of a sort of. Uh, rivalry of personal ambitions between several key people at the top and not really the formation of these kind of blocks, right? And parties, although that's also something that has to do with this being a hip hop musical and which is even when there are posses, the posses are made up of individuals and they never really speak with one voice unless they're Wu-Tang killer bees, right? Uh, everybody, The idea that everybody in the posse gets to have a verse uh, as opposed to the posse all saying the same thing is kind of essential for how rap posses work. Uh, and this is a show with rap posses in it. Um, so but yeah, I mean, I don't know that that part of me felt weird. And and I don't know whether it was supposed to do something else. Um, and it just didn't work or whether, you know, when he started writing it in what, like 2009 or whenever he started writing, it, he felt differently about it, or whether it was one of those many things during the Obama years where we kind of could look back. And if you wanted to, you could not really understand what was happening
0: sure it, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right. Right. yeah yeah you could Which be the you
2: weaponizing know. of the filibuster to the
0: extreme right? sure yeah and you can't um, be you, you could be ezra klein or something like that and be like i i can't believe surely some of these you know some of these senators the most deliberative body in the world will come <laughs> together and be you know be able to to govern the country in some semblance of adequate i mean yes that's i you know i think that's right he he doesn't um yeah, he he in particular is like presented as someone, though, who doesn't who doesn't compromise. Right. Like who doesn't uh, who like sort of d- 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 persuades by harangue, you know, but um, yeah. the, he's presented the, as somebody who doesn't yield more
2: than somebody who doesn't compromise. Right. Like because he makes deals, but he makes them at the expense of others. <laughs> Not at his own expense. Yeah. Right. Like, so, but that, like but, he'll but, sacrifice his wife. He'll sacrifice his child, <laughs> oh, dear. but he won't sacrifice, you know, sure. his own ambitions.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, right. I, that's I think that's right, and I think that actually the you'd probably you know get the. Um, it's you no, know, it's not. It's not wholly approving about his character, which is something that I appreciate about it. The other thing about Lin Manuel Miranda specifically is that his father was in like municipal politics, and yeah. so I think there is an idea of what politics, what politics is. You know, right. um, like in
2: Puerto Rico, no less though, which is also a very different
0: situation than the
2: one in Washington. Uh, in certain ways but we don't go into that in like a lot of detail as well right like it's uh that's a whole other podcast where we probably have to do a whole bunch of preparation but
0: yeah (laughs) well sure but like politics
2: he knows how it works generally
0: well yeah and that and i I think the point of that the 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 near as i can tell the the point of that song like the force of of that slogan room where it happens is kind of historiographical right that is to say you can't your history books don't necessarily reflect, um, I want to like a better metaphor than how the sausage actually gets made, but, but like that there is a, a sort of an insurmountable problem giving an account of why things happen the way that they do. uh, and that is, um, you know uh, that is that no one is in the room. No one is in the room where it happens. This is in kind of direct contradiction of uh, the idea that another slogan from the the uh, from a different part of the play and from a different character um, that uh, history has its eyes on you. Right. Because the 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 room that it happens, uh, you know, is like history. No, history doesn't have its eyes on you. And in certain ways, that's a good or at least a very useful thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the other thing that it doesn't take into account, which, of course, is like, I think part of the DNA of the show and something that is difficult for everybody to wrestle with. Right. Is that people do uh, make deals right to everybody. People make deals to advance their interests. Uh, And they also have interests. Right. And they let me rephrase it. Not just the people make deals. People take pragmatic steps to advance their interests that don't align with their stated principles all the time because you do not achieve your interests by following your principles. Right. Like you have to because I mean, it's just that's not how interests work. Right. So like uh, and so so this idea that, oh, man, you know, our politicians, they don't stand for what they say. I would say that I guess another way of putting it is that if you look at your principles as generating an end that you're seeking to find a means for, then living in the spirit of your principles might not necessarily be right. And this is like this feels like such a basic thing to say now, but yet at the same time. Um, it seems controversial, right? <laughs> like like if you determine by extrapolating from your principles what you want the outcome to be. Right. If you were to follow certain means that don't follow your principles and that would be the best way to your outcome, what should you do? Right. And, and a lot of people would say, well, you should stick to your principles regardless. And it's like, well, sure. But then you're John Adams. And because that's what John Adams did, right? Is stick to his principles, um, and he was obnoxious and disliked, and uh, and did not form coalitions, and did not have friends, and had a terrible presidency that is openly mocked uh, on in this show, right? Um, and uh, and so and you're Ned Stark, right? And your yeah. your your you know, your honor gets you, your head chopped off, uh, and this is a show that's sort of post Ned Stark. Um, and picking Hamilton as its hero, it's going to be that way because you know Ham- Hamilton is you know a negotiator, a wheeler. He's a New Yorker. Right. This is a New York politics <laughs> show. This isn't about Ethan Allen in the in the Green Mountain Boys. right? Like this isn't about this is not about Fort Ticonderoga or about the Battle of Saratoga. Right. Or about, you know, the this isn't about one of those situations, you know, the shot heard around the world. Right. This isn't about the farm boys picking up their guns and like going and standing in front of the redcoats. This is about like wealthy, sophisticated, educated people who are jockeying for position in their careers while simultaneously trying to pull off like a major coup. Right, like and and it's going to be complex. Um, And uh, and it it is I think it is it is interesting um, because I to hear that. I don't know. Do you guys feel like that sort of attitude about politics is both very well understood and both kind of openly ached at and kind of mourned and rejected by a lot of people because they want more principle, even if it's like. Then you get principle, but then the people who end up being the best at enacting it aren't following it. And so you kind of go on the long slide to hypocrisy. And maybe that's too much about politics and not enough about Hamilton. Um, And because it's his shot, right? (laughs) <laughs> I, well, I I'll say this: This is a show that is highly concerned with the American Revolution and the founding of the United States, in which I do not think the words "the United States of America" are spoken even once, uh, and uh, in which there is no American flag, and it is referred to as Betsy Ross's flag and not the flag of the country, right? And and so, that, which I feel like is just so such a such a that's almost a bolder choice than the casting, right? That this is like a, a a musical about the founding of America that doesn't mention America. <laughs> (laughs) Like, um, is, uh, I mean, am I missing something? I I feel like I'm going, it probably pops up somewhere. Well,
0: how would it, how would it mention, I mean, do you mean the word America doesn't appear in the, doesn't appear in the text or the.
2: um, When they're talking about constitution, they never talk about the constitution of the United States. They never talk about the Declaration of Independence of the United States. They always say my – it's like watching an episode of 24 where it's like he's bringing the device in from his country, right? And they never mention like which vague, scary country in Central Asia or the Middle East is constantly being referenced. Uh (laughs) Like it's uh, his country. My country is young and hungry, right? Uh, well, what is your country, right? Uh, that is, I guess, maybe that's the question that the that is posed by the representation as well, right? If I'm like my country and I'm young and hungry and whatnot, then like, what is the country that is like me? Uh, is is perhaps something that's being teased at in all this? And and are we not going to call it the United States? Maybe I feel fool, but not even not even like King George doesn't even make fun of it, right? Like he doesn't even say like, oh, the United States of America, what kind of dumb name that is for a country? Although that's a line from seventy. <laughs> Seventy six. Um, I don't. Think that's something for our country. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, but I just feel like I don't know. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting into it pretty deep in terms of like the individual versus the collective and the present versus the future. Um, Mark Mark, you have got to have more topics that you want to talk about here. What's next on the bullet list? I'm too deep <coughs> Hamilton, man.
1: Too deep. <laughs> like, let's move on to something else. But just um, you hit the nail on the head, right? I think you answered your own question. Is that you know it it, it just leaves just enough ambiguity there so that it allows um you to bring your own um interpretation of things to it right you know and, and it fits it is very much of a piece of you know having actors of color play these roles and it expands it from its original context and it allows it to take on a whole bunch of different meanings so yeah absolutely you you you're, 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 you're absolutely 100% right on track um something we wanted, definitely wanted to talk about um and this is i guess it's getting a little bit out of the the text of the show itself but that's fine um because it's a really interesting thing to talk about it's just the filmed nature of this stage performance right um so for uh those of you who, who saw this but might not have been aware of it um for the most part it is um a filmed uh live performance i think they stitched it over the cross like uh three live three three evenings uh except for the times when they performed it without an audience, and they had a Steadicam operator on the stage so they could get the tight close-up shots of uh, of the actors and the performers. And we could get the wonderful, like you know, uh, Jonathan Groff spittle uh, and and like eyebrow arches uh, as the king. Um, now, I was aware of this uh, when I watched it, and I think maybe like I, I wish I wasn't because it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, I do think the the presentation benefits greatly. From that, I'm now not sure if they could have like had a very long lens at the back of theater and, and accomplished some other way. Um, but uh, I think you know it, it is an excellent job of having captured the whole thing on film and allow someone to watch it from the comfort of their home because Lord knows you can't see it now uh, in 2020 as we record this. Um, although you know, I think Matt and I we would agree that there is something lost certainly in in seeing it on your screen uh, as opposed to having. Um, been in the room where it happens, such as work would you agree, Matt?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it's not—it's it, a different thing, right? Like filmed, film theater, filmed live performance is a different thing. There, there are there are kind of the the like the obvious spiritual differences, and that is to say, like if you are kind of breathing the same air as the other people, if you can, like you know, whatever whatever version of vibes you believe in, if you can vibe with the actual human beings who are who are performing the thing, right? And you're sort of re- responding to the same you know uh titters and and audience reactions you're responding to whatever the particular you know uh specifics um uh are uh together right you and that's uh you have a shared you have a shared context i guess that's one
1: and straight straight out of the gate there's a great example of this right which is um when uh, Lynn Manuel comes onto the stage and he sings his first line alexander hamilton yeah. My name is Alexander Hamilton, It just kind of flows straight through except when you see it live you, he sings Alexander Hamilton stops ah! the show
0: stops yeah. the show for yeah like, and yeah, it can't go on for like 2 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was uh <laughs> it was uh it was pretty like I actually thought When I saw it, I thought he was very, very judicious in how little he milked it um, that particular moment. Because he let it, he gave it like 10 seconds, but it would have like, you know. The other thing is the actual excitement, seeing it in your living room and the actual excitement and the kind of the way just the energy of the room... um, you know, uh, happens. And like the way it, you know, like it's, it's sort of compared to compared with like being at a concert, you know, and this is always true in theater, but just because there's so much, um, uh, but uh, how to put it so much exuberance, uh, you know, kind of really explosive exuberance in this show in particular, like that was a crucial, um, crucial aspect of it uh aspect of it for me and then like there's something there's something physical about the theater and about observing theater from a particular point like if you see it like we do and sit rank and file in seats you know in uncomfortable narrow theater seats as you do um that like uh there's something about that the the um The, uh, Eliza Angelica thing on the, on the party night, the winner's ball, um, and then going back, uh, to, to view it from Angelica's perspective. Like it's actually, uh, I think it actually works better live than it does because you actually see that they're doing the same choreography and that the characters are standing in the same positions. Yeah. In exactly, in exactly the same way. On film, the close up or the medium close up is tracking the person who's singing, understandably enough, like that's what, that's what you want to be watching. And you don't want the camera just on sticks, as you say, at the back of the house with a long lens. Um, that would have a, a, that would be boring. B, it would really crush the stage front to back. Um, and so you wouldn't get a sense of, of the kind of the depth and the physical relationships among people. So, so you go you go close or you go in from the side to create dimensionality and that's cool, but that that's fine. It creates good film, but it doesn't like that, that moment that forgive me for using the word, but it was a real coup de theater, you know, um,
1: <laughs>
0: like it, it was one of those, it was one of those things where like I gasped, you know, cause it was so cool, uh, to see, and when you realize that, like, the toasts happen and that the damn thing had been choreographed such that two songs could be put onto that choreography uh-huh. and make sense at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's you know that good. And that's like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, um, so that's right. So th- that's the thing that, you know, that's the thing that gets lost. And then I think certain, you know, Certain things. The obvious one is that for theater and for film, you perform at a different size. So I think it's actually really good that they did like some non audience stuff really close and let some of those songs be delivered at film size rather than trying to film the uh, trying to fill up the Richard Rogers Theater. The Richard Rogers Theater is big for a Broadway theater. Now, now let me. Uh, now I, th- I maybe, um... Yeah, ca- capacity 13, 19. Phew. I thought I might be, uh, uh, I thought I might be lying or, or just talking out of my ass. Um, but no, that's, that's big for a Broadway theater. Like, uh, a decent sized Broadway theater is 800 and like a lot of them are 500. You think of Broadway as being this, you know, big, enormous, bombastic thing and it is stylistically, but the actual theaters in which it's played are, you know, one third of the, uh, one third of the size of the, like, the civic auditorium in your town you know uh and so it actually is a you know a smaller thing than um it actually is a smaller thing than than you think and when you go you know when you go to the uh the pantages in los angeles uh theater la capacity sorry i'm googling really furiously um at 2,700 seats at double the size, like it really changes the character of, of the thing that you see, which, you know, which is one reason why the experience of going to Broadway in, you know, 800 seat theaters, five to 800 seat theaters is different from, from the experience of, of seeing a touring company in your, you know, in your civic auditorium or in, you know, whatever the presenting venue is in, in your town, wherever else you happen to live in, in, uh, in the world. So, you know, that's, that's, but so it's this, it's this smaller venue. Um, it's narrow, but tall. It just so happens to be the way that one was constructed. And, um, so a lot of the performance has to be like shot upward. Uh, you know, has to be almost like a like a Harlem Globetrotters trick shot, like bounced off the uh, bounced off the the wood of the court, and uh, you know, made to land in in the basket much 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 higher. And that like um, that would not look good on film. It would look uh, really dumb, actually. It would look like overacting. And so it's good, but you also don't get the sense of the particular uh you don't get the sense of the the just the particular energy the kind of the explosive bombast of the bombast of that like um what i miss number with thomas jefferson when he comes out and he's he's cakewalking he's like high high kicking you know doing that like uh razzle dazzle like hello my baby hello my honey sort of high stepping dance and like it's fantastic you know it's it's wonderful you do, and seeing seeing a human body in space making that happen so i'm just I, maybe i've gotten a little nostalgic for live theater being uh um you know being under lockdown and and it is true that like most of what i see i hate but this 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 show was very it was very very good um the other one i think that is not uh um that is served very differently is Chris Jackson as George Washington, who is wonderful. Like, I don't know how he, he projects this moral authority and centeredness, um, you know, which is the kind of the, uh, the choice that's made for the character in this, in this particular, uh, thing. And the quieter moments of that, uh, Go okay, but the the louder the louder moments in the sort of we're outgunned outmanned uh, bit don't don't necessarily explode through the screen the way they um, the way they explode off the stage and then like you know to saving the the best actor Tony winner for last like Leslie Odom is operating on a whole other level he's a he's like a sorcerer you know casting spells <laughs> and. <laughs> kind of like casting the spell of the story of the musical Hamilton um, on you, and that like uh, I just the 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 bravery, the way he's willing to be non-naturalistic in certain ways and to almost be like in the sense that like mask theater greek mask theater or kabuki mask theater does these things it's like he kind of turns himself into a succession of masks uh and creates you know creates these things and kind of like you know moves sinuously throughout the the lyrics of the stuff that that um that uh that he 's given, like you know I, he deserved every ounce of that tony for uh you know for for what he did and and it 's interesting what what happened to him in in this is that certain things again it's it 's sort of a different emphasis um, in the sh- in the live performance uh uh wait for it is a much better song uh and on film, I thought "Room Where It Happens" was a much better song uh, because you can't necessarily convey the extreme power of stillness in theater on film. It would be hard to do. Um, it would be. It would take a little more. It would take a little more artfulness than, than was on display with the, like, the, the uh, you know, use of the camera here. Um, but that, like, but in getting close to him, I, I loved watching the curl of his lip, you know, as he sort of sneered out a particular word, you know, as Burr, like, you know, out the the uh uh the name Hamilton or something like that and like being you know being that um being that close to it was uh uh, you know, was really gratifying because it got uh, you got a chance to kind of see it from a different angle. I don't know. I, I sorry, I just really fanboyed out and and kind of squeed. Uh, you know, in in a way yeah. that I'm not sure was was terribly helpful. But I think that like this show is built on these performers. You know, and some some reviews that I've seen of the touring companies, you know, say that like it loses something when it's not done with these particular with it's it loses something when it's not done with the performers who created the roles you know who who, on whom the show uh was built you know and that that like uh so it's really it's really cool to see them and i like uh i just I, i i don't know i like actors and so i want to um i want to appreciate their their work pete did anything stick out to you about the the performances or about the nature of the film in general
2: Uh, Sure. I'll go the other way from you a little bit and say, honestly, like I knew what I was watching was good. I didn't really love it. (laughs) Like like it didn't really move. I I mean, the second half of the show really upset me. (laughs) But the first half of the show, I didn't really feel a lot. And I think that it was probably because so much of what the show was doing was based around the intimacy of being in the theater with it. Uh, it, it, I think it reminds me of uh, this old Ian McKellen interview where he talks about the difference between film and theater acting. I've talked about it a couple of times recently, I think, where he says, you know, well, I'm film acting. Where he says, how, how do I act so well? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he said that's what he says. Right. Um, and he says, well, when I'm film acting, I can use my face when I'm theater acting. Somebody might not be looking at my face. They might be looking at my hand. Or they might be looking at my foot. And so I'm going to do things with like my hand or my foot, uh, you know, to sort of I can use that to communicate more of my character, which I can't do when the film is just kind of focused on me. And so in this case, I feel like Hamilton is so complicated that it kind of requires you as an audience member to pick what you're going to pay attention to at any given time. Mm. And and live theater is better for that than video, I think, because uh, in yeah. video, the eye of the camera is already steering what you're looking at. Um, and so, yeah, that I, that's one of the potential explanations for why for much of the show I was sort of like following it, intellectualizing it, understanding what was happening Taking like being kind of really impressed by how good it was, but not really feeling moved or like excited or, or happy. Uh, or sad, and that's, then King George would come on, and I would be like, "Oh yay! This is great! <laughs> this <laughs> is like, fun! <laughs> this is the best part King of the George show!" Is like TV size, right? <laughs> yes. King George's face is like, "Here's a thing that's of a of a sort of scale and size that, like, if you're watching it and you're kind of tired, right, like, uh, like this is something that's for you."
1: Uh, he's I would, not, he's I would, not bounding about the stage either. He is notably almost entirely still.
2: <laughs> exactly, and he's doing all of his acting with his face. Yeah, and so so that's why it works better for for the film, but. I think the stuff that you're talking about, I was aware that the choreography in the show was amazing, but I couldn't really watch it
0: <laughs> because no, I, yeah, that's right. I didn't have that's right.
2: points to look at. Like I didn't know I couldn't orient myself in space. So it was hard to watch the choreography and kind of grasp what was happening uh, or really just appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Like appreciate the shapes. Um, and to, and, cer- and to a certain
0: important. extent, what, what Mark and I have said is like, it's, it's almost served as a mnemonic, you know, for an experience yeah. that we had for a different, different kind of experience that we had earlier yep. y- years ago, you yeah. know, and not, and, and it's almost impossible to kind of watch this without really like and. And let me tell you, like, that, that experience in the theater was uh, incredible. Like, I, it's one of those heightened things. Like, I remember the meal I had before I watched this show. I liked it so much that, like, my, you know, the, the, whatever the, like, the indelible, um, you know, marker is that like records certain memories. Uh, I remember so many things about this particular, uh, about this particular experience, but you know, I don't know that that said, like, uh, I'm glad it exists. You know, I'm glad this artifact is, is here. Um, I it's think, awesome. It's yeah, great. I think that film yeah, theater, I just, I just mean theater live. on film. Yeah. I'm glad that there is yeah. I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that the, you know, the National Theater or Lincoln Center or, you know, different people have been different institutions have been broadcasting their archival videos or the kind of the, you know, live performance videos that that they've made. It's not the same. <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't do the same uh it doesn't do the same stuff and I I just I wonder if you know, to really have it touch your heart, you have to have had, uh, you have to have had the live experience, you know? Um, but sorry, Pete, I, I, I totally hijacked your point.
2: It's like, say, it's like, hey, Pete, how about this? <laughs> no, no, I do it. I do it all the time. It's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say was like, uh, is Lin-Manuel Miranda a good film actor?
0: Uh, no, he's not a good actor. Okay. He's not, a, oh, he's not a good actor. No, he's extra he's very um he's very likable. Uh he's very charismatic, but he's not an actor. Uh he's not a singer. It's not that he's not a good actor, it's just that's not not, it's not his job. No. He's a Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's a writer, you know, and that's yeah. like and that's the other thing. I mean, I hope I don't get get, you know, viciously attacked online by by the hordes of of um, you know, Hamilton fans for this, but like it, but it's actually not like I, I don't care. You know, he, he was not even in the running for the Tonys the year that, that this show won all the Tonys except for, you know, best musical, best new musical and, and for the score, right? But I mean, no, I mean, for the acting Tonys, you know, like he, there was no way he was the, the winner for lead actor against Leslie Odom, who was, who just act, you know, could act circles around him had a, And what do I mean by that? Well, he had a, both his, like the technical qualities of his vocal instrument, his ability to dance, his ability to, uh, you know, express a range of things and kind of finely modulate his body and his voice as a vehicle to express a, you know, to, to express the, the things that need to be expressed in, in the show, um, like, yeah, he's he's not a he's not an actor. He's not a he's not a singer. It, but um, I but I think he was the right person to do this because it's the it, it's, you know, the um, because he's the origin, you know, because he's the original. <laughs> uh,
2: also, he, Hamilton is such a cipher. I don't even know what the show would be like. With an actor who brought more of, who brought enough of his own personality to imprint upon the role that the writing didn't do the talking.
0: Yeah, other than yeah. a kind of, other than a kind of a, a charisma and a, a, a slightly puppy dogish quality, um, and good flow, like he's a good rapper. Oh, he's yeah, right? he's, like, he's yeah. He, right, exactly. It's when I say yeah. he's not a good singer, I mean it's mostly in the the Broadway moments in the sung. Uh, in yeah. the sung moments, especially when he's, uh, you know, uh, sort of overcome with, with emotion. But yeah, but that's not, that's not his thing. I mean, and, and it's interesting that, that writing specifically, and not like, not speaking, not necessarily orating, not even persuading, but writing, like that putting words to paper is lionized so heavily, uh, yeah. In the show as though it were a a, like an intrinsic moral good outside of the effect that you have on the world by by writing. Um, Sounds like uh, it's a piece of writing written by a writer.
2: (laughs) I will say that in terms of actually watching Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, it was much more fun to watch the clip of Lin-Manuel Miranda hearing Weird Al Yankovic sing Hamilton the Hamilton polka for the first time like that clip is amazing and it was probably better in terms of like him as a presence right as like a, as like a performative presence on film or video the the sort of joy and glee and earnestness that was in the the purity of the moment where you know, Lin Manuel Miranda hears his childhood idol Weird Al Yankovic sing his song was like so beautiful and felt so much more like he was, you know, the kind of thing that he would be doing if he were really like if he really broke through his uh, and became a super saiyan with regards to his his acting, and we were to see the sort of next level of what it was like for him to be an actor per se, as opposed to as as we've said, like a sort of writer singer triple threats. Center of the show, MC, but also somebody who's there to help everybody else shine—kind of phenomenon, right? Um, like him being him. Uh, watching him talk about Weird Al Yankovic is kind of the best that I've gotten so far, and that counts. Mary Poppins. Uh, <laughs> although Moana, he's great, but he doesn't appear on screen in Moana, right? So it's like, uh, does he even sing in Moana, or is it just that he wrote the song? Yeah, he does. Um, he sings. He does um, sings, and it's good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the chanty, uh, the chanty songs, the away, away um we yeah. sail across the sea songs he he I, sings why on why those my
2: actors are really good man like really good and singers that really good like there's a really high level there's very competitive as you know to get those jobs <laughs> right? so like he can be really 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 good and still like next to mr odom it's like man he's great
0: yeah <laughs> right? it's uh, like, uh
2: yeah it is a you guys, really you guys, hard you guys,
1: job you yeah you guys didn't think lin-manuel uh really uh took barry poppin's returns to the next level no
2: He's no Dick Van Dyke, but then again, I the first one to say that. He's not Dick Van Dyke, but he, would, he wouldn't say he's Vic Dick Van Dyke, right? It's, it's these tributes to things no, that he loves. No, he right? would say, and, uh, I mean,
0: that, that is not what he would answer if you said to him, what's your name, man? <laughs> My name is Dick Van Dyke.
2: D I C K Van Dyke. <laughs> Sleep in a twin bed with Mary Tyler Moore. Sweep the chimney before I come to sweep your floor. Okay. My name's Dick Van Dyke, and I'm here to say I have my own show in a major way.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. My, my name is Bert the chimney sweep, and I'm here to say I got a flu brush, and I'm here to stay. Um, Why is everybody attracted to to
2: Hamilton? He's not... Everybody in the room is prettier than he is. I didn't understand.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, maybe we should... uh Maybe we should leave it there. Uh, we would really love to hear what you have to think about, what you have to say about Hamilton. Uh, hit us up in the comments on the show notes for this episode. Um, it's on Disney Plus. It's streaming on Disney Plus, and it will be there for the foreseeable future. And it will live forever in a, in a pirated version that I'm sure you can find on the internet. You know, once uh, once it goes away uh, on Disney Plus. Thank you very much for uh, staying with us uh, through this uh, journey through Hamilton. Thanks very much to Pete and Mark for podcasting with me. We'll be back. Back next week with more Overthinking It Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve.
2: Man, I was so excited when Charles Lee appeared, and I was like, oh, "Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, it's Charles Lee, it's Charles Lee!" And I was so excited to see the story of Charles Lee played out on stage. And I gotta say, like, you know, as a Hamilton musical, super solid. As a Charles Lee musical, uh, leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs>